some of the information mentioned in this episode has been affected by the current coronavirus situation. Check the websites referenced in this episode for the most current listing of the events, activities, or dates that are most current and relevant. You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Todd Stiles, your host for Neighbors and Nations. And this podcast is designed to stir within you, within all of us, a heart for missions, both local and global. Well, today my guest is Brad Boozer, and I am uh, really excited for you to hear my interview with him. Uh, Brad's the president of Radius International, spent 20 plus years in Papua New Guinea, uh, just a tremendous uh mind for missions in general, understands missiology, and a great voice for developing the right kind of missions approach in the church, and the right kind of missionaries to go out from the church. I think you'll be thoroughly blessed by my interview with Brad, uh, especially if you're a pastor. Uh, He'll just really challenge you in some areas. He'll have a number of things that I think will pique your interest and give you some places to go for more information. So, Without any further word, just know that you've got a real treat in store. So let's join the conversation, can we? My interview with Brad Boozer today on Neighbors and Nations. Welcome today to our podcast, Neighbors and Nations. And I am especially thrilled today to have Brad Boozer with us all the way from San Diego. Brad, welcome. Hey, thanks, Todd. Good to be with you. And I'm really glad you could join us today. You have got quite the story, and I know that some of our listeners may have heard it before, but I suspect many of them haven't. Um, and uh, I just thought I'd give you at least a minute just to kind of throw us into the eight foot in off the bat, because your work in the in Papua New Guinea is quite amazing years ago. Um, it's too much for one podcast, I know, but can you give us a brief review so folks out there could also just uh, uh, glory in God's goodness through your story? Yeah, you bet, Todd. Um, Yeah, my wife was uh, 22. I was 23 when we headed out to Papua New Guinea. We had two little boys, and we arrived, and we uh, learned the language of the country, Melanesian pigeon first, and then then we moved interior about 180 miles over jungle uh, to move in among the Itedi people. Uh, It took us, we moved in in late 1979, and it took us until 1985 before we could begin sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a really clear adult level style of communication. And we saw uh, the first uh, Itedis come to faith uh, seven months after that and uh, stayed around to disciple them, which was much more uh, than doing the evangelism. So we we saw believers after seven years, After it took another 13 years to see a church established among them and the New Testament translated. So uh, it was a privilege, really the honor of a lifetime to get to uh, see that society really impacted by the gospel. Well, that's the shortest I've ever heard that. <laughs> Pretty good, man. Way to go. But 20 years in the PNG, right? 20 years, a little over 20 years, yeah. Well, wow. and you said the first seven was just for language uh, adequacy, can we call it? 
Uh, no, I'd say language excellence. Okay. Uh, we wanted to be excellent in the language and in the culture. Uh, we were capable. Uh, we were at that level after about six and a half years, and that's when we began sharing the gospel. But again, it took us seven months to teaching five days a week uh, to walk them through the gospel. We, we talked about God's simple plan of salvation, and it is once you have a lot of the main components, but they had none of those components. So setting the stage so they could embrace Christ alone uh, took a lot of time. Well, that's something I think from what I've heard in the past from you and just talking to you personally, being at radio as myself, you're an ardent advocate for gospel fluency and I guess you said language excellence. And walk walk us through maybe some of the why behind that. Yeah, the gospel is a pretty complex message, actually, and, and uh, you know, not for native speakers, but uh, especially when we're working cross-culturally, well, we've got to know what we're saying. We've got to know what we're not saying. We need to be able to mm. paint like a Rembrandt, these concepts that oftentimes uh, sin, justification, they have no concepts of these in most of the remaining language groups. And so, uh, boy, we, we just have to be excellent communicators to make that message come alive. It's real easy to get the gospel wrong. And in doing so, they just add Jesus or some form of Jesus to what they already hold to. And this is so common in, in the world of missions today. So uh, myself and all the other guys at Radius were very uh, serious about that. Wow. So syncretism is just a likely possibility then if you're not really trained in the language of that culture you're going to. Does I hear that right? Uh, syncretism is almost inevitable. Yeah. If wow. you're not an excellent speaker and if you don't know their culture well enough, and Todd, you've heard me share my story, but... Uh, it's not just making biblical truths clear, but actually highlighting what they're not hearing. And you need to know their culture so that you can compare the two side by side in a non-offensive, but very clear way. Hmm. Talk to guys like me then, Brad. I mean, it's just a natural bent of pastors. We, we tend to be in a hurry. We want to get the gospel to more people and all that comes from a good heart, but we can sometimes hurry up to where we actually cause more damage in the end. So Talk to us about the value of waiting till our partners are actually ready linguistically. Yeah, and again, yeah, as a pastor, just as a follower of Jesus living here in Southern California, man, I want to get the gospel across as clear as clear and as quickly as possible also. So I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. Again, this when we're talking cross-culturally in a third language context, uh, it, it, you know, the term cross-cultural takes about one second to say, but it signifies a, a host of different issues that, again, knowing their spirit world as they describe it, knowing their, their religious worldview, uh, knowing how uh, man, they see the universe, knowing their definitions of good and bad and evil, and then slowly substituting man a, a new definition for many of these concepts. It just takes time. It takes excellence and communication. And too often, uh, in the day of the world of missions, that we, as we see it today, uh, people are just using quick shortcut methods and trusting in the spirit of God to straighten out our garbled 10-year-old speech. Hmm. So you'd say it's worth it in the end to take your time in the beginning. Oh, yeah. If we want to see churches at last, I mean, actual churches uh, that are going to be around 10, 15, 20 years later, uh, there, there's got to be a responsibility taken by the gospel communicator that he owns the communication of the gospel, making it clear. Then it's on the spirit of God to bring conviction and bring a repentance and all the things that only he can do. But uh, yeah. there's been really a, a lot of abrogation of responsibility. I can just tell you from being that radius, from my perspective as a pastor, and we had some folks there, in fact, from our church, I really appreciate the way that you instilled in them this uh, whole concept of don't hurry up because if you get the gospel wrong, you get everything else wrong, right? 
Oh boy, that's so, absolutely the case. Man. Yeah, and and again, we're we want to go as fast as possible, so long as we can make the gospel truly clear. Amen. That's great. You know, uh, the story that's almost as miraculous as the one of you in the PNG is the one of you as a kid, how God saved you. And did you think back then, with that crazy youth pastor you had, did you think that you would be uh, a key person in planting a church in Papua New Guinea? Oh. Gosh, Todd, yeah. <laughs> no, no way, man. My life was all about surfing and girls and, and life in Southern California. And, uh, you know, but this guy, as you're talking about this youth pastor, Vaughn, uh, he was courageous enough to throw the gospel down in a way that really got your attention and to make hell come alive, the consequences of sin come alive. And I had nobody in my life that was talking to me like that. You know, I had, I had a bunch of adults that were trying to be my buddy and my friend, but he, he just came across like uh, that's really not a big concern to him. He's going to tell you the truth and, and that grabbed my ears and hundreds of other young guys. Hmm. He was quite the motivator, I take it, in a good way. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he, he played dirty. He, he didn't you know, fight by the rules. He challenged your manhood. He challenged your testosterone. He challenged, are you really even a follower of Jesus? To blow off what Jesus so clearly says in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 20. To blow that off, uh, how do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? He really got under our skin. So, so walk me through a, a tension here that I feel and I wonder sometimes. He was on this side of the ocean, we'll call it, working in a church or working with you guys but pushing you guys to consider people who had never heard. Had he done that before or was he doing that sometime in the future or how did he kind of balance both neighbors and nations? Well, man, he was super involved. I think I told you he uh, would take us across the border. We wash orphans down in Mexico on a weekly basis. He took us to the handicapped homes, old folks homes. He he was making sure that we were touching lives right here in San Diego. Uh, Again, that was just part of his discipleship was going with him to those really hard to, to people that are young and, you know, living on the beaches to, to go to visit unbeautiful situations. Uh, he felt like that's where the real discipleship happened. So you, he didn't just necessarily trap you in the church. <laughs> he had oh, you outside his walls. Oh, gosh, yeah. He, w- he was just really creative at looking for places that would get us off of our game because uh, he knew that we would listen and we would think better uh, when we weren't just, you know, sitting back, you know, listening to him. Hmm. Well, from my perspective, I feel like you're doing much of that same thing now through radius where you're speaking language uh, that's catching people off guard. You're calling them to massive amounts of sacrifice and you're kind of doing what he did to you just in a more organized, probably group fashion, to be honest with you. Uh, Tell us a bit about radius. Walk us through maybe what it does, where it's located. If you can just, yeah, give a real plug for radius here. Yeah, no, when we came back, uh, my wife and I from New Guinea, uh, we just saw man, a, a huge amount of people that loved the Lord and they, they wanted to see the Great Commission accomplished and going overseas uh, with a variety of agencies. And they, they just didn't, they, they had no chance whatsoever, literally. I mean, barring the, the 5% that they don't need any training, but the vast majority of people, we use terms like maybe 30 to, you know, whatever, you know, there, some people without, with, with no, tra- with no training can do it. Uh, some people, uh, given training, they still can't do it, but there's a huge chunk of people in the middle that uh, are not making it overseas. And so finally, after a few years, a bunch of us guys that were seeing the same thing, we got together, uh, found this little building down in a town in, uh, Northern Mexico there, a couple of miles away from San Diego and, uh, started the school. Uh, the first year was pretty much a disaster. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I wrote letters of apology to all those students that made it to the end. And uh, God is just, Man, that's uh, funny. 
brought us the staff and the, and the curriculum has developed over the last eight years and we're just excited to see what's happening. And now we've got, uh, man, about 150 of our graduates are overseas and the way they're learning languages, uh, they're just setting records and now they're moving into next languages. Uh, and uh, in a few years from now, we're just looking forward to seeing believers in these unreached language groups that have never had access to the gospel before. Now, you talk about languages and no access. Uh, your estimation is about how many of those are there on the planet right now? Yeah, of course, Radius doesn't have the resources to do that. But the IMB, uh, they did their study. I think it was uh, 2015. And they came up with a figure, uh, 3,100 and change. Okay, about over okay. 3,100 languages. So uh, that's that's the figure that we work off of. And uh, again, we pretty much stay away from the people group uh, terminology just because people groups as a term has gotten hijacked uh, to mean uh left-handed plumbers of Polish extraction in Southern California. <laughs> just like, really, they need their own church. They need their own outreach. Uh, it, it just gets really abused. And that's just probably the tip of the iceberg for how I think you have thought so well about issues in missiology that probably have been hijacked beyond just that one. No, when Ralph Winters introduced the term back there in the 70s, it was really helpful, uh, people groups, okay? And, and it kind of stayed helpful for quite a, a couple decades at least. But again, as everybody wanted to be defined as a, a unique people group, it kind of went off the rails. And this is pretty common in missions. Mm-hmm. Um, any great stories that you want to share about what God's been doing at Radius lately? Before we move on, I want to talk to you about some other issues first, but in regards to Radius and stuff like that, anything you want to share? Yeah, I mean, to me, one of the exciting ones is, uh, man, just with the virus that's happened down there, we uh, obviously students are free to leave the program anytime they want. But, uh, man, we had some ones that were wobbling and uh, we, we put it to them again just as a whole group. And if anybody feels like they need to get out of here and just the caliber of men and women that are coming to us, they're like, no way. man, we're seeing this thing through. And guys just got an uh, email today from one of our grads in Africa having completed uh, their study of Arabic. They are now. They've now moved into a little teeny village, living in a, a hut, and they are going. They're diving into the local language there. We're just seeing this all over the place. And of course, man, the folks that are sent out from your church there, Todd, uh, just exciting stuff going on through them. So, man, we we revel, we glory uh, through uh, our graduates and what God's doing overseas. Amen. Yeah, we were in touch, and just um, they sent us very deliberate word that they are intentionally staying put for the sake of you know god's glory in that country and just to hear of their intentionality in that decision was um it was stirring for us back here for sure um i want to just ask you a question about uh you mentioned this earlier about how certain things get hijacked maybe even some things get misunderstood or perhaps some things get combined to where suddenly it's all into one big category help pastors who are listening um and I'm sure there's a number of them, but help them kind of get a better handle on access versus need. Because I think there, as they get a handle on it, I think our churches will. And I think it's a good distinction to continue to make. So you're probably one of the best minds in this field that I know, at least. Walk us through maybe how we can keep the right understanding of, of gospel access and gospel need. Yeah, well, boy, right there where you're at, Todd and Ankeny, there are, uh, there's gospel needy people there. And as you know, there's always going to be that. And uh, same in San Diego. And so, man, where you live, where I live, man, we need to be those conduits of the gospel to people in those neighborhoods. But too often, the issue of there are needs here 
has really gotten in the way of, of thinking strategically, because I don't think any of us really believe that when Jesus spoke those words in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that, that he was at all envisioning, reach everybody in Jerusalem first, then reach Judea, then Samaria. Uh, it's not sequential like that. And, and we've got to be doing it all. And mm. uh, there's just the, the allocation of resources is, is really tragic when we think about it, uh, because uh, there's needs here. And there will always be needs here. And if we continue to go to need, if, if needs becomes the ultimate criteria in the distribution of gospel resources, we'll never get beyond Hindi. And yet there are quite mm. a few gigantic language groups in India and in Indonesia and in Papua New Guinea and in China. And uh, we'll never get beyond the main languages if needs becomes the ultimate criteria. And so does it does radius focus primarily or exclusively on like languages that don't have the gospel yet yeah that is a very uh, clearly stated goal and and in fact if students uh potential students come down here and they really have no desire to go beyond mandarin or go beyond bahasa to go beyond uh, arabic that's a wonderful thing but that's really not radius is all about uh, there's no other place like this that really focuses on unreached language groups because we're very committed to not just doing missions, but to actually seeing the Great Commission, every tongue, tribe, and nation reach with the gospel. Amen. And I guess that's something that we can see completed? I believe we can see. Uh, now, I want to be careful. I think <laughs> we can reach every tongue, tribe, and nation that's in existence today, the ones that are extinct. You know, hey, that's not on us. But I absolutely sure. believe we can get to every every last language group. Now, when's Jesus going to come back? Man, that's on him. That's not on us. But uh, <laughs> boy, uh, when we reach every one of those, then let's start looking at needs, okay? You know, yeah. really putting all our resources toward that. Yeah, I love that because it, it does keep our focus on the generation that, that we're living in to say, hey, guys, we've got a task, just like every other generation, and it's to be beyond us and outside of us. So whether or not, you know, like, like what you said, like it's, that's not on us. I love that because let's just embrace the responsibility we've been given and see if we can reach every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And if we don't, if we just get close to the next generation, that'll help them. You bet. So, and can you imagine if every church had one or two families, just like the family from out of your church, and just to do something towards reaching unreached language groups? Uh, but Todd, man, I'm in, a, I'm in way too many churches, and they have a huge missions budget and energies. And virtually none of them are working with unreached language groups. Uh, this is so common because it's really, really difficult. And if you're not specifically prepared, you get to the country, you, you put down roots in your first location, you learn the first language to a degree, that's hard enough. And unless you're mentally prepared to uproot and go to that next location, boy, you're just, the sacrifices are immense. Wow. Well, as a pastor, let me speak on your behalf in, in regards to one thing for sure is when I came out to Radius with that couple, and uh, I was so intimidated because I, first of all, I didn't know much about what I was stepping into. Um, you just feel uh, ignorant, at least I did. I felt ignorant about some of the topics. I listened to your linguistics guy, and I thought, well, I'm not even in the same arena as he as he is intellectually. <laughs> he was just, he was a, a great guy. And so, when I had that conversation with you at your house, it was so settling to hear your heart for pastors that, you know, you weren't condemning them for meeting needs in their community. I mean, you, you didn't like, you know, judge me in a weird way for my heart to reach our city, but you, neither did you let me escape the command left by our Lord. And I just remember thinking, this guy's with me. He knows uh, what our goal is, but he knows that it takes time to get there. And I just want to thank you for that encouragement that evening that, 
we don't have to make this trek in one day. We got time, but let's start aiming that direction. And it's taken us years, Brad, but uh, by God's grace and to his glory, I think about 80% of our dollars that are budgeted for missions goes to least access areas. Over half of our partners are in least access areas. And I think that began when some key folks from our church were in touch with you. I got to meet you and just that whole, you know, multi-year conversation of being exposed to how, how do you strategically start going after those who've never heard of Christ? And uh, if there's anybody who's done it humbly, I got to tell you, I think it's you. And I really appreciate you walking with our church through this time. I really do. No, it's been our pleasure. Really, truly, Todd. And come on, that <clears throat> that quality, a couple out of your church, man, Beth and I are still in love with those guys and follow their uh, comings and goings. And uh, man, they put the bar up there high, but man, I, I just, uh, just want to echo, uh, man, the tension that, man, guys who are leading churches, men in positions like yourself, uh, the, the tension of, man, loving your community and being appropriate to your community and getting the gospel out there, touching lives uh, right there where you're at and holding that in, in the healthy tension of, man, how are we going to complete the Great Commission? Because it's got to be both. It can't be one or the other. Yeah. Do you see the young mission force gaining strength currently, or, or do you see it weakening? What's your perspective on that? Man, I'll be, to me, the, the young people coming into missions are the strength of the thing. I, and this may sound harsh, but honestly, I believe there's a lot of guys in my generation that have sold this generation down the, down the tube. Mm. Uh, they say they can't spell commitment. Uh, they've created shortcut methods because uh, these guys aren't going to, I've heard it said, they're, they're not even going to be on the mission field five, six, seven years. Uh, we've got to find methods that'll circumnavigate the historic methods and uh, they've done it. And uh, so, man, I, I think we have great people coming into missions, but depending on where they get trained, depending on what they hear, uh, they're, they're, boy, they're not lasting very long. A lot of it, I think, as they realize they get to the field, they start using these methods. They talk to people at a five-year-old level and they realize I'm not even talking to the man. I'm, I'm talking to his skin. I can't communicate and yet they're forced to get into gospel conversations so quickly. And uh, it, it's frustrating. Their families are going through the same sacrifices as a long-term guy. And, and they're inside, they're tore up because this is not working. I'm not making a difference. And so they come home, and, and rightly so. Um, so I, I do not put it at the feet of this younger generation at all. I think it's at the feet of the mission executives. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and when you send your call out, I mean, you have a pretty high bar. So it's not like a, you're not looking just for anybody, are you? No, no, not at all. Uh, they they need to be uh, biblically grounded, com coming from solid churches with solid uh, recommendations from those churches. Uh, we have very few exceptions, but the vast majority of our uh, students have to have their bachelor's degree. If they don't, we uh, we look a lot into that as to why they don't. We want to know that they can start and finish something already. Uh, we take their references real seriously. Uh, yeah, the, and as you experienced, man, the, and it's the same today. I mean. The, the program is now about three times as big as what you saw. Next year, it'll be four times wow. as big. But the seriousness of the campus hasn't changed a bit. These are serious people. They, I mean, come on. They're, they're young people. They know how to have fun. But as far as this task, they are all in. They've mm. pushed all their chips in. Well, man, I'm praying that as you keep – I use the word targeting. But, you know, as, as those are the kind of folks that keep coming on board, then the next generation from those people will be even larger. And we can maybe see some of the tide turn. That's been uh, created by, like you said, the older mission executives. Yeah, no, we're believing it, and and that, and uh, it's pretty fun now, actually. Todd, uh, some of the organizations are afraid to take our our graduates into them. They're man, they're going to be divisive. They're going to be know it alls. 
uh, as they've seen our graduates and that they come in humbly, they haven't done anything. They've learned a lot, but they haven't done anything. And now we're getting a, an awful lot of our graduates into some of these historically good agencies, but uh, agencies that started well, but have bought into the current methods uh, have gone off the rails. And, and this is, you mentioned it earlier, maybe we'll circle back, but uh, for pastors right now to, to know the definitions of the terms that historically when you said evangelize or disciple or plant a church, what is a church mm-hmm. fluency? I think we would all have similar definitions, but boy, that's just not the case today. Wow. Yeah, I remember being out there and uh, was asked that very question. So what is a church? And just realizing, and I was thankful that we had one at our church, a definition, but thinking, wow, this is not a, these guys are taking this seriously. They want to know that our church is committed to biblical understanding of key components. So I, yeah. I remember that visit. That was a stark weekend for me and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for the first time coming down, it, it's different than most folks have ever seen. Of course, you know, it hadn't been around very long back then and you hadn't read anything or much on it. Uh, now more people are getting familiar with how different it is, but uh, it is fun. We just enjoy the heck out of it when we get the pastors coming down. We had 60 different pastors down here at the last radius wow. day and uh, meant to harness that energy of pastors that care about the Great Commission, boy, you know, our students will do some to to bring back some organizations, but it's really going to be local churches raising their voices. Uh, We can't come back to historic methods. I really believe so. Wow. And you guys also host a conference, don't you? Yeah, we've got our Radius Missiology Conference coming up here in San Diego on June uh, 23rd and 24th. Uh, there'll be uh, man David Platt, David Jeremiah, Ian Hamilton, and uh, a few of us Radius guys. It's going to be a great, great time. Lord willing, uh, we'll pull the plug uh, in late May if uh, the virus uh, takes that away, but we're hoping to see a great turnout. Man, that's exciting. So, Brad, two more questions for you. I'm just curious, uh, and maybe you would have already answered this. I don't know, but I want to try to ask you to give me one thing. Uh, what seems to be most hindering the American church from a greater commitment to God's heart for the nations? I can't say one thing, Todd. I, I, I think there are a lot of men in your position, and they've gotten disappointed. That some great people got sent out. Uh, they came home. It left a stench. And uh, I, I think there are many churches that have gone through that, and they've just kind of washed their hands of missions. They would, would never say it like that. Uh, and that's, that's where we, man, we would love to get in contact with these churches and say, guys, we, we can do better. We really can do better. Mm. Uh, let's regain our vision. Uh, because Amen. I, there's a, I think every Christ follower, they read the words of Jesus and, and they get stirred like, man, why haven't we completed this thing? And sometimes it's a sense, it's maybe like the national debt. I will never finish the great commission, but man, it's doable. It really is. And to, to let that stirring uh, man be in the pulpit, be in the Sunday school classes, uh, you know, it's not the only thing God's doing, but sure, a big thing. Wow. I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, about six or so years ago, the elders gave me a six-week sabbatical. And I want to say it was either just prior to coming out to see you or somewhere in there. I'm not sure exactly, but um, but some folks had really been influential in my life. Ryan and Pug Johnson, David and Leah Davenport were very influential in just some thinking about missions. So on this sabbatical, I took about a three-day uh, camping trip to a state park, just set up a little pup tent, and just basically spent those two or three days just in prayer. And the thing I came back with to our elders was, guys, we have to make God's passion our mission. And his passion is every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And I'll never forget I feel like what happened in me is what you're just saying. I feel like um, 
just impressed on our elders in our church consistently that, that we have but one aim, and that is to get God's glory to, to all the nations. And we're just one small church in a small town in Iowa, but we are a church. Let's go after that. And it has, um, by God's grace, I feel like there's been some traction since then towards this end. And I think you make a wise observation. If more pastors would just take that, who knows what God could do, you know? I hear you. It is. I I think the American church in the realm of missions, you know, we talked about, you know, the the church in Brazil and the church in Korea, and that's great. You know, man, I, 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 Sometimes I'm thrilled with things I'm here. So, you know, I've, I've got similar concerns because no church has a corner on strength or weakness. Uh, every mm. church has issues we need to fight through. But I think for the American church to, to make use of its massive resources, not just financial, but man, these awesome lives, people that are trained in the word and they have godly marriages and godly parenting already in place. Uh, and the, the turnover rate in missions has been atrocious. And if we can lessen mm. that turnover, we feel like we're cutting it in half with our grads. We're so thrilled. It's so doable, and uh, but it does. It, yeah, I hate to say it, it really does start with pastors. You know, getting a yeah. vision from God of, of He's worthy of this, and it's going to ding uh, the budget. It's going to take resources away from the local areas, but ultimately, man, I, and man, well, I, we saw it in our church here in San Diego, man, the blessing that God poured out on our church as they got behind this, and I'm sure you're seeing it too. There, yeah. Amen. Hey, uh, real quickly, crazy question here, but I ask most of our guests this. I'd love to see what you think to it, but. What would you love to see God do before you die? I'd love to. I'd love to live long enough to see the gospel presented to every last language group. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to see um, and my grandkids grow up to be men and women uh, that follow the Lord Jesus. Amen. I had a feeling you'd say something along those lines, so that's not a surprise. But uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, um, Radius, or just kind of at least get some information, give us the best platform they should visit. Yeah, the Radius website, just radiusinternational.org. Uh, you'll you'll find it there. It's easy to find. Uh, and you can you know email me or email the general info thing. And Shelly, who's our registrar, she'll get it to me if you guys want to uh, connect with me on any of the things that I've uh, talked about or stirred up <laughs> over statements <laughs> I've made. <laughs> that was I've stepped I think on. you and your son write a regular newsletter about missions. Can they subscribe on that website? Yeah, they sure can, Todd. Man, and it's uh, very helpful. Yeah, what we're doing in that uh, newsletter is we're really trying to highlight one issue uh, within the missions discussion per issue. It's not too long, and we can't get real lengthy within it, but uh, there are some things that uh, God's people really need to be aware of if we're ever going to see the Great Commission completed. So, yeah, thanks for the plug. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, and this whole thing, uh, plug or no plug, I just am thoroughly blessed by your ministry, and I don't know if I've quite told you this either, but just your time with you and just thinking with you and reading what you've written, it's... um, it's really brought me to a place in my own ministry and life that uh, I'm thankful how God's used you in my life. And I just want to thank you personally. And I appreciate what you're doing for many other people uh, as we together try to get the gospel to those who get to hear. So Brad, thank you very much. Hey, thanks Todd. Thanks for making the time to meet up like this and uh, God bless you, my friend. Looking forward to seeing you in the fall. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.